about to enter a world of pain, suffering, and laughter. Scumfuck. <laughs> Life motto. You know when you hear that phrase, you know what time it is. It's worst gig ever time. That's right. I'm Mike Pace. I'm Jeff Garlock. And what a perfect segue in the words of the immortal Gigi Allen into this week's episode. We have a fantastic guest. His name is Mike Edison. He is, how do you even uh, describe this man? Modern day gutter renaissance man that's pretty good not to be confused with the movie renaissance man starring danny devito mike edison has been involved uh with magazines like high times he was the editor of high times for a while screw wrestling's main event yep uh he's written for hustler this guy written multiple of his own books he's written his own books a fantastic memoir called i have fun everywhere i go he wrote a book about a book (laughs) he wrote he wrote he wrote a book about kind of the, the, the history of Playboy, Penthouse, Hustler, and Screw called Dirty, Dirty, Dirty. He is also a... He plays music. He plays... He, he, this guy has, has uh, punk rock credentials a mile long. He played with the immortal Gigi Allen. He was in Gigi Allen's He was in bands. Gigi Allen's band. We get into that. He plays in a lot of like... You might call them frat rock bands, the, the, <laughs> the kids that he has an amazing story about playing an actual frat. We talk about pro wrestling. We talk about pot. We talk about porn. We talk about what? it all. You think we won't talk about it, but we do. We, we do. get to everything. This episode, Mike is like this American icon with all of these universal things. Yeah. And I, it, it's, it's a really fun episode. He's chock full of great stories, just like... A lot of our episodes. That's right. A worst gig ever. And yeah. so if you want to check out this one, you're probably already listening to it, obviously. Yes. But check out other episodes. Go to worstgigeverpodcast.tumblr.com. Go send us an email, worstgigever at gmail.com. If you have any suggestions for guests, uh, we've been getting some emails lately. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you have just thoughts, you've got worst gigs of your own you want us to share. Or go subscribe to us on iTunes. Give us some ratings. Give us some feedback. Check out all of our great episodes. <laughs> that was great. And, and the enthusiasm you put into that last sentence. <laughs> I fell asleep I, on the last <laughs> sentence. The rest of it, I mean wholeheartedly. I want to translate, a transfer, excuse me, that to this episode featuring Mike Edison, Gigi Rock, Life Sucks, Scumfuck, Peace. Peace. Working at High Times was definitely a case of be careful of what you wish for. It was a gig that I really wanted. I became the publisher of High Times. Actually, they had headhunted me. Um, headhunted the way that hippies headhunt, which is sort of like um, smoke-filled alleys and, and like that. But word got to me that they had fired both the editor and the publisher at the same time. Um, and John Holmstrom of punk magazine fame uh, had been the publisher. He was the publisher before me and it actually brought me into High Times years and years before a little background. Um, it's great. When I met John, 
I was a big fan. I'm a big fan of Punk Magazine. A big fan of his uh, cartoons. Um, and I was eager to meet him. We were at a party together uh, at the old Lismar Lounge, which uh, also the site of another one of the worst gigs of all time, a Gigi Allen gig that was particularly bad. <laughs> I, um, we have to devote some time to Gigi. <laughs> yeah, well, not, not all the gigs with Gigi were bad. I mean, I'd have to, I'd have to rate the Montreal gig pretty spectacular as, as, as these things go. Um, but yeah, the, the gig at the Lismar was pretty bad. Anyway, there was a High Times party. This was like back when High Times parties were really a gas, uh, quite literally, because they had tanks of nitrous oxide. Um, there was a room. The Lismar Lounge was a very sleazy, dirty kind of bar. The basement where the band uh, would play it was pretty nondescript it just kind of rank um, along the side there was sort of like this sort of separate room and for this high times party they had set up chairs sort of like uh, two abreast sort of like on a small commercial airline if you can imagine uh-huh. something and you'd sit down and um, these lovely flight attendants would bring you a balloon full of uh, nitrous oxide, <laughs> laugh, laughing gas, uh, dentist grade right. laughing gas it, it, was a, it was a great party anyway um, John, John was there um, and so I said, hey, you want to meet John Holmstrom? And I, I, I really did. I was really a fan. And uh, said, cool. And, and I met John. And the best thing was, he said, I know you. You're Mike Edison. You're that cat from the wrestling magazine. Because <laughs> I had been working at Main Event Magazine, yeah. Main right. Event Wrestling Magazine, which was a kayfabe uh, newsstand wrestling magazine. And I was the bad guy. I was the heel editor. Um, always ranting and raving about Hulk Hogan, my sworn enemy. <laughs> we're, we're, we're in this... Um, great adversarial relationship I had with Hulk Hogan that sustained me back in those days. But my picture was in the magazine a lot. Um, and I think just then, my picture, we had these, we took a ride in Sergeant Slaughter's camouflage limousine, right? It was, wow. such, a, it was such a silly job. We worked yeah. on the 86th floor, I think it was, of the Empire yeah. State Building. Right. You know, I just dropped out of film school and I sort of fumbled my was way this, Was this when this Sergeant job. Slaughter was AWA? This no, is, no, no. This is right around the time of the boot camp match. This okay. was like the oh, peak. Oh, or like P- the Pat peak, Patterson. The peak of the lunchbox era. Okay. As, as I, like <laughs> I only to, saw like Sergeant Slaughter at my father's uh, timeshare that he shows up at <laughs> in Aruba. All of a sudden, I'll be there because my dad has one, but he showed up two or three years in a row. Doing body slams in the pool to his to his grandson, so I was like, "Oh, great!" Uh, well, you know, even Sergeant Slaughter's got to take a holiday. Exactly. <laughs> Don't worry about our uh, our homemade pop yeah, filter. It's there. bullshit. Um, <laughs> um, anyway, so I, I met John, and we and we um, bonded very quickly. I didn't realize he was a wrestling fan. I should have guessed. Um, and he invited me to uh, write a column for High Times. At the time, mm-hmm. I think his title was executive editor. Um, and it's weird. There's a real uh, confluence of people because Judy McGuire, uh, who's my partner on, on my radio show, the Mike and Judy show, uh, was working at High Times at the time. And uh, I think she was at that party handing out LSD. <laughs> this is a party was very much living up to the name of a High Times party. Well, you know, ask Judy. I mean, like, she hates High Times probably more than even I do. I mean, it was just turned into this very sour experience. But back then it was good. John brought me in and I wrote this column called Shoot the Tube. Mm-hmm. Um, which was about politics and media at the time. Mm-hmm. There was a column in the Village Voice called The Tube. Mm-hmm. So Shoot the Tube was you know, right. sort, of, sort of a play on that. And I really, really disliked the Village Voice um, for many, just because it was so difficult to read. You know, it was like, you know, mm-hmm. hipster in a way that, you know, proto hipster in a way that um, was just absolutely fucking obnoxious with, with references to paintings no one had ever seen and right. movies no one had ever watched and records no one had ever hear. And this is sort of the way the thing was written. They did some sure. very good investigative journalism, especially on a local level, of course, but the arts coverage was just yeah. absolute, you know, fucking, you know, <laughs> bullshit. Garbage. Yeah, I mean, it was real egghead crap, um, with, with some exceptions. Um, but anyway, anyway, so I started writing this thing, Shoot the Tube, which was uh, a lot of fun. Um, and go, back then, going to High Times was great because you'd go up there and, 
you know, back in you know those days, we didn't have the internet that all mm-hmm. you kids are enjoying. You know, <laughs> so so living off the fruits of the internet, there was no email. Um, and you you know back then, even when I wrote to a hustler and stuff, I would fax stories in. Right, right. It would be like thermal fax papers so would come oh. pouring out. I mean, you gotta Awful. imagine it come pouring out of a machine like you know a two thousand word story is like what like ten or twelve yeah. pages. Right, and it would you know come out in thermal fax paper like all curled up, and then someone would have to input it again. Okay, <laughs> someone on the other end would have to input it again. But wait, it gets worse because that's only the second pass. And of course, it yeah. was like some scrub, you know, editorial assistant was doing it. Of course, you know, be, you know, errors. But then to typeset it, it would have to be input again. <laughs> it strikes me that like the fax machine was obsolete like the second after it was invented. Right. It seems like the biggest pain in, in the ass. Yeah, but you guys ever. don't remember that. Like when the fax machine was invented, FedEx was afraid <laughs> they were going out of business. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay, I mean the fax right. machine was a big leap. Yeah, you know, uh, we used to I used to do the 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 black of de- uh, the black loop of death. Uh huh. You know uh-huh. you know what that is? No. That's when you put like you, know, you tape a few pages together and you put it through the fax machine, and then as the first pages are coming back out, you tape them to the end. And this way you could burn up someone's roll of fax paper, <laughs> which was expensive at the time, and they'd show up at their office. And if you were good, you could put like a skull and crossbones on it or some sort of <laughs> terrorist ransom note on there. And they'd come up, and a roll of fax paper was, was expensive. You know? yeah. It was like you know, 17 bucks, which is like $400 in you know, <laughs> right. 2013 money. Um, you know, and you just like burn up you know, those thermal fax paper. they come up yeah, with this yeah. big fucking mess on their floor. <laughs> fucking Edison! <laughs> So, um, through, so, so through John, and that was a good experience to go up to the office, the high times office, and get stoned. Mm-hmm. And um, Steve Hager, who later became my arch nemesis, was the editor then. Um, and Steve was a very idealistic hippie. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, there are good hippies and there are bad hippies, how sure. I say. There are, you know, there are the guys that started Apple Computer, for instance. Right. And then there's, you know, Satan, like Steve Hager, <laughs> who's like, you know, so twisted, yeah. you know, around the double helix of marijuana and LSD <laughs> that they can no longer really function, you know. Steve, right, this episode's with, going with out the to you. Of yeah. society. Um, <laughs> but back then, you know, it was just a cat, and they were like all about legalizing marijuana, and I was very much part of that. Right. Um, when I used to um, work with Reagan Youth, the band, and, mm-hmm. yep. and uh, what was sort of left over the yippies, I was very. Um, Active politically, sure. rock against racism, rock against Reagan, right. and you know, pro pot, and uh, you know, I'm old enough. I sort of straddle kind of like punk rock, and I mean, technically, I'm the last gasp of uh, baby boomer generation. Uh, right. I was born in 1964, but though I reject that wholeheartedly, because <laughs> uh-huh. like Bill Clinton is a baby boomer, so like fuck that, right? <laughs> yes. You know, um, but you know, but I'm in a, in a position that like I sort of had you know that that culture you know b- behind me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and also was sort of like you know, kind of a radical punk rocker at the time. So it was good. And John was Mr. Punk Rock. Yeah. And even then the office was kind of polarized. There was Mr. Punk Rock and the fucking Flower Power Brigade. <laughs> um, years later, but I had a pretty good relationship with them for the most part because I'd say show up and get stoned, which is sure. exciting. Yeah. It was also, oh, it sounds yeah. good. That doesn't sound like it a was also gig. Dude, yeah. dude, I was like 25 years old. It was fucking great. You know, yeah. I get paid to write this thing. And at the time it was on the newsstand and um, High Times was having pretty good parties. Right. You know, and I'd invite, you know, People to these parties. It was always, always fun. Um, years later, you know, I moved to Spain and sort of become a legitimate uh, journalist and um, done all, all, all these things. And was hanging out with Holmstrom one night in a bar. We had stayed friends, um, you know, years after I was writing the column and telling me what was going on up there. This great schism through the company because they were fighting so badly. John had graduated to become the publisher, which um, runs you know, the business end right. of the magazine. Um, and the editor, Hager, and they were at odds, which I didn't really understand because they seemed to be good friends. But John told me, it's like, well, of course, the second I became publisher, I was the enemy. Right. Yeah. And right. I didn't really see it until I got in there myself, <laughs> which is exactly what fucking happened. One day I was really popular. Mike, the writer, Mike, the guy who plays in like the hip garage band. The next day I was a fucking suit. <laughs> 
Right. You know, I was like some sort of crypto fascist because I had the big office. Right. And the day I walked in was like, it just turned sour right away. When I, John had referred me to the people who own High Times, said Mike would be a great editor, and I'd written them a letter and explained why I was uniquely qualified for the, for the gig. I really thought I was, and I had a lot of ideas, and I went up there with a presentation about, I mean, the magazine was really suffering. I, right. I didn't know the sales numbers at the time, but you could just tell it was like kind of forgotten. It looked like something that had been left next to a lava lamp yeah. for years, which is basically what was happening. They were so fucking stoned up there. They were putting out the same magazine <laughs> right. every month and not really noticing. <laughs> The whole point of their magazine slowly deteriorating. <laughs> the point of the magazine. Yeah, it's it's like it's it's non-ironic humor. Right. Yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> For everyone sick of irony. Yes. <laughs> There's exactly. high times. <laughs> so the se- so basically the second you you so, would send to and Fowler. that's where my book I have fun everywhere yeah. I, mm-hmm. I go starts was. You know, one of these meetings I'd run, they kind of wanted me to keep an eye on the editorial. They hired me as publisher because I um, had been a business journalist in, in between, kind of went legit. I knew how to run an ad staff. I uh, knew a lot about production and the art department um, over the years working magazines. I just really paid attention, and um, I went to art school, kind of, sort of. Um, I, went, I went to film school, <laughs> yeah. but, but, but I took a lot of art classes and typography and stuff, and I worked for the school paper, and you know, and I knew all these things about production and uh, so when I went in there, I kind of you know knew every job on the floor. Not to say that I could be the art director, but I certainly right. you know knew what they did and how they worked. Sure, with editors, right. I knew how the production department worked. Um, I knew how you know money came in and money went out. I, I had a good good handle on it. Which the hippie editor that they hired right, um, was this guy that had worked you know on some like anarchist radio stations. <laughs> right. You know, a real yippie hangover. Um, I think they hired him because they asked him how much he wanted, and I think he said twenty eight thousand dollars. They said okay, yeah, right. <laughs> good. Let's and, go. you know, and the next call was to me. I asked for real money, like real magazine money, right? Um, which high times money to real money. The exchange rate is like two to one. But <laughs> right. but uh, but you know, I was the publisher of High Times. How, yeah. how do you say, say no to that? I was um, you know like thirty two years old. I think you know it, it was great. Um, I mean, it seemed great at the time. Again, right. be careful what you wish for. And I get in, and like I said, that's when my book. Uh, starts the next person who suggests putting Bob Marley on the cover of his magazine right. is going to be looking for a new fucking job yeah. because that's what it was. I have this meeting. He's like, let's do Bob Marley. And I said, well, you know, he's been on the cover like three times already. And I right. think he's still dead. Right. So, so you, you wound up putting Ozzy on the cover. <laughs> well, this is like, this is like, yeah, down the road okay. a little bit. Um, well, Cause also did, when you were kind of writing before, before you were editing, was there, I, I don't know, High times at that time was there more of like almost like a satirical bent to things or oh, was it a little no, more man. interesting the, the at all? Hager had taken all the humor out of the magazine. Right, you know? he had really gone around the bend. I mean, back in the eighties when I when I started, that's right. Yeah, like, um, John Holmstrom was responsible for having some great cartoonists right. in, and uh, he had done a section at the back of the magazine that was really just about having, having fun and there right. Uh, um, more unexpected coverage. I mean, if right. you know the history of High Times, I mean, first of all, it wasn't from the 60s. It started in 1974. Mm-hmm. And the guy who started it, Tom Forsad, was a hippie, but he wasn't a flower power hippie. He was like a radical hippie. Right. He was a progressive. And he had, you know, um, he did this great magazine, uh, The Oracle. Mm-hmm. Check mm-hmm. me The Oracle. <laughs> uh, but it was a real, like, off the, the, the multicolored school bus right. kind of thing. It was this great, you know, sort of proto left wing, you know, an- anarchist, uh, thing. And one of the great issues, which, uh, Holmes gave me a copy. I still have it. I'm really, really proud of it. It's something I really like. It was an anti-war statement. It said on the cover, this magazine has been shot with a Colt 44 automatic. Uh-huh. And every magazine had a bullet hole right through the fucking center. <laughs> that's pretty it, was, it was designed like a peace sign with a bullet hole right through yeah, the middle. Right. I mean, it was just like, I mean, that's like to me the height of publishing. Yeah. Right. Like, so fucking cool. And I really yeah. wanted to do that at high times. They all looked at me like I was fucking nuts. 
Where's Bob Marley going to be in? There? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And what if, yeah, and what if, what if the bullet goes through Roger Waters' head? Right. You know? right. And I was like, well, you know, and, and Jerry's already dead. Right. Did you guys get the fucking memo? I mean, <laughs> and like, like, wake up. You know, I mean, this is not a baby boomer magazine, Hager. Right. You know, you may be a hundred years old, but the people who read this magazine, the people who are smoking pot, the people with this culture are young. They're in college and they're listening to the Lincoln Park and right. You know, yeah. and, you know, whatever was happening at the time, and that's what we need to be addressing. I wasn't trying to throw the hippies out. I like uh-huh. Jimi Hendrix as much as the next guy. Sure. And Sure, let's do a Pink Floyd story. Right. And by the way, I don't need David Gilmore's cooperation to write the story. Right. Because he's never going to come in. He's never <laughs> yeah, going to talk right. to High Times. There's right. nothing in it for him, but we can write around it. Yeah. Right? Gilmore's not business. setting aside time. Yeah. It is Nick Mason right? may be available. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, Nick Mason yeah. might be available, but how would anybody know? Right. Exactly. Good point. Man. So, so okay, so you're, you're buddy, you're, you're, this is, you're, you're just. So it just, yeah, the second I got there, yeah. it was like, who the fuck does this guy think he is? Yeah, and right. basically, there's a guy who wanted to sell magazines and it just turned into a fucking nightmare you know the the, the stoned art director there who I, I described my book as yeah. being like Charles Manson without the good vibes uh-huh. <laughs> you, you know I mean he was just this like, negative guy yeah, he was right. like fuck you you know we've been doing this for a long time without you what makes you think you know better yeah. and I was like guys the fact that I say we can do it better is not an indictment of what you're doing now right. sure yeah. um, although really it had the magazine had really lost its luster lost its spark yeah. Yeah. even when I got there this was you know um, 1998, I guess I got there. Mm. Yeah, 98-ish. Um, and people were still asking, oh, is High Time still being published? Right, yeah. You know, and I get that asked that now. It's 15 sure. years later, and it still is. Although it's a bit of kind of a trade magazine for people to go uh-huh. pot in their closets. Or right. Now, of course, the medical marijuana thing has changed things a, yeah. a little bit. But, you know, back then, the circulation was 200,000. Now, I understand it's like down to 20,000. Yeah, right. Which barely, you know, more people listen to your podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Than, than read that times. actually may be true. Yeah. <laughs> so you're, you're, you're really coming in. And, I mean, this, this applies to all of your experience in publishing and, you know, with Screw and Hustler and the wrestling magazine is that you're hitting the tail end of the glory days. Oh, don't say that, dude. Well, no, I'm saying in a great... That's me. I arrived just as the party's ending. Yeah. <laughs> is, is, is this ambush journalism? No. Is that what you guys practice here? <laughs> no disrespect whatsoever. <laughs> uh, what I meant is that you're you're catching it. In the in you're 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 still getting it while the getting's good. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it was definitely. I mean, then it was like the last good wave of like pre-internet culture. Yeah. Right. I mean, and actually, you know, the, I mean, wrestling. Yeah. Well, wrestling's been you know on and off great for for a while. Yeah. Certainly, but that was the Hulk Hogan era. I wasn't the yes. first WrestleMania that was good. And, yeah. you know, High Times Glory days were gone, but what I really wanted to do was bring it back. And if you knew the history of High Times, like I said, mm. you know, they had great writers. You could open it up and here would be, you know, an interview with Norman Mailer or yep. some sort of piece by Terry Southern and, yep. you know, and, and Hunter Thompson was a friend of the magazine, as was Al Goldstein of Screw Magazine, you know, who right. became a friend with whom I worked. And it was more of a hedonist magazine, um, it wasn't just banking on the nug of the month, like centerfolds, oh, to try, <laughs> which is what I mostly think of with like, especially later day that, you know, it's like, look at the purple nugs. I mean, usually, you know, like looking at Playboy when I was a kid, I could generally tell the difference between Miss June and Miss July. Sure. Yeah. I mean, these days it's harder and harder with, the, sure. you know, the, you know, the bimbo bambies they put in that rag <laughs> now, but, um, but nug of the month? I mean, seriously? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I defy you to tell me the difference between like a picture of like purple haze and like, you, you know, and uh, you know, the Haley Barry nug, you know, <laughs> that had followed up with the big summer issue. Um, what you were saying about Ozzy Osbourne, that's really where it hit a point. And I was mm-hmm. trying to bring back some literature. I mean, Hager was smart when he turned things over and made it very pro pot. He chased the cocaine mm-hmm. out of the magazine a little bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, those days were over. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, right. it, it, it was the right thing to do. But he went so 
you know, into it, he kind of threw the baby out with the bathwater. You know, I mean, you guys know potheads. You know, like, you know, I mean, I'm very pro-pot. I'm just anti-slacker. Sure, sure. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm anti, you know, delusional hippie. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You're on the right side of You're the... You're pro uh, the good parts of hippie <laughs> and anti the And by the really way, I don't think I'm cherry-picking either. Yeah. You know, I mean, I self-describe as a hippie. People laugh at me, right. you know. But, yeah, I get stoned listening to Bob Marley. Sure. I didn't know him to throw, toss a frisbee in the park. What the fuck? <laughs> doesn't make me a bad guy. Frisbees are fun. <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, yeah, I played all these punk rock bands, and, you know, I'm sort of identified yeah. with that and with the pornography. But you know, I think peace is better than war. Yeah, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, so it's a good idea. <laughs> so speaking of that, playing in all of these bands, kind of, uh, sort of concurrently while you're, you know. Well, I was sort of on hiatus. When I hit high times, I sort of had my fill of. Uh, I'd been living in Spain, playing with a band called the Pleasure Fuckers, mm-hmm. which was a very popular punk rock band, and it was um, it was great until it wasn't. You know, yeah. It lasted a while. I did over two hundred gigs with them all over Europe. Yeah, um, that's actually a good statement for that. Kind of sums up a lot. It was great until it wasn't. <laughs> the really is, you hit that wall, and you're like, uh oh. Yeah, well, we, we take it as far as we're going. It was yeah. really great. We um, I didn't sleep for like you know the better part of three years. Right. I yes. was like a blizzard of fucking cocaine. You know, you know, in Spain and in that circle of people right, sure. specifically and it, and it was it was great you know yeah um and I came back and I want to get back to the magazine business and I got this job as a kind of legit business journalist. I was actually covering beer markets, which was actually, <laughs> I know, I know, such dumb luck. And, um, you know, getting my chops back and getting yeah. you know, my head back into the game and um, letting people know that I was back around. That's when Holmes from called today. They needed an editor and they chose me to be the publisher because I was the only guy he was the only Jew, probably. Uh, you know? <laughs> but I was the only guy who was there who had any sense of, of the business side sure, of things, right. as well as was qualified to be the editor. So they could keep an eye on the anarchist editor we just hired for you know twenty dollars a week, right. <laughs> and um, which was a recipe for disaster. And what I didn't yeah. know is that the powers of being high times were real puppet masters and they really like to architect feuds in the staff it was like a star trek episode you know right. like the brains and the dishes and they and they, they wager you know on kirk versus you know, you know like like you know the gorn or whatever you know, yeah. or, or, you know the hot chick with the spear you know that's sort of what high times was and i was immediately at odds with everybody i was immediately like the suit right and all i wanted to do was some magazines and yeah. the truth is i did i mean i empirically you know had success at high times, but I was ruffling feathers right. while I did sure. it. Right. You know, we were selling more magazines, we were making more ad revenue. You're harsh in their mellow. Like, holy, <laughs> you know, Mello with actually bringing in sales, dude. It was like herding fucking cats over there. <laughs> right. yeah. You know, I mean, all all the cliches of, of you know the pot smokers not being motivated are very fucking true. What's not true is the myth of pot smokers being mellow because it was a fucking cauldron. Right. You know, it was a den of snakes over there. Right. It was just awful. It was backstabbing water. You know, cooler culture of all fucking time where everybody was so afraid of losing their job they would never take any risks or be creative. Right. And there were these little fiefdoms, like the record guy would never <laughs> let anybody in his office, he always protected his records, and everything was wielding power. The editor would dole out marijuana as a reward for people writing things. And, right. you know, and if you got inside of his circle, you know, in, in like, you know, his you know, cathedral of <laughs> right. cannabis, then mm-hmm. maybe you'd get to have some of his hat. It was just awful. You so know? it sounds like it's. It was a, very childish. Yeah. Yeah. And. and diametrically opposed to the experience that you had working at Screw or at... Uh, Screw was wonderful. Screw was like the best gig because it was just a license to ill. Yeah. You know, um, and you know, and I always, I, when I worked at Screw, you know, back in the 80s, it was one of the place, first places I freelanced for and what I learned at Screw and from Al Goldstein is that if you're funny, you can get away with anything. Right. You, yeah. you know, as long as you're funny, people are willing to tolerate like like the most, un, you know, politically correct 
jokes of all fucking time. Right. No matter how racist or sexist or misogynist or piggish or awful, you know, we were. Funny's we were funny. funny. Yeah. And it wasn't aimed at anybody because, you know, there was a couple of Jews around the ma- magazine who were the biggest anti-Semites of all fucking time. Of course, yes. <laughs> and, you know, and I mean, Al was definitely the self-loathing Jew. Me, I, I kind of adore myself. Yeah. Uh-huh. But, but, I, but I get it. Yeah. I was looking at um, old screw cover. And I mean, I remember growing up and being young and seeing the, the newsprint screw magazine at the you know the bottom rack in the candy mm-hmm. store. And it, it unleashed this torrent of like, this is bad. Like, you know, like oh, yeah. the, yeah. Way it sh- the way it should be. And that's something that I want to get into. Porn, that's it, well, porn. Exactly. <laughs> well, it was illicit and it was hot. Yeah. And by the way, that's what I tried to bring back to High Times is I wanted to, you know, position it as an outlaw magazine. And we right. called it for a little while, the Hager Foot, the most notorious magazine of all time. Right. That yeah. was the tagline. And it went over great. You know, I mean, every time we did a story, we got any little bit of press, people mm-hmm. saying, High Times, comma, the most notorious magazine in the world. Right. Was actually yeah. the tagline. And people loved it. And Hager said, No, it can't be. We're a family magazine. We want to be kind. <laughs> and we want to be like the Disneyland. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? It's a truck magazine, dude. Right. You know, yeah. it's just we we are, you know, what's left of an outlaw nation. And that's right. what should be celebrated. That's what this magazine was founded on. And that's your added value. That's the bump you get when you buy this magazine, is you yeah. just joined a club yeah. of people who are living outside the law. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, I mean, I mean, the marketing just did itself, but these guys, you know, I mean, man, they were always their own worst enemy. So the Ozzy Osbourne story, which, which, which is legendary is I've given him another one of these big speeches talking about like, seriously guys, you know, mm. no more Bob Marley, uh-huh. you know, uh, um, and no more 75 year old pot activists uh-huh. because, <laughs> you know, because no one gives a fuck. I mean, right. I'm not trying to get, you know, the, the, the tie dye out of the magazine as a place for it, but seriously, I mean, like, like, like wake up. It can't yeah. be every page <laughs> and every word. It's and it's funny that 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 High Times was considered the most notorious magazine of all time because the screw there was a screw cover uh-huh. and there was a, a, a subheading that said for an article everything you wanted to know about shit. I didn't write that. I think it was. I think it was in like an early, like a late seventies. But I think it was probably an article about shit. Of course, and just yeah. what you want to know about. But, but that was true, you know, <laughs> coprophilia, yeah. uh, which which would be your shit eating. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you know. I mean, whatever vice you could think of. Yeah. there it was. Uh, in screw God, so awful. Last night, I was I was at the Fairway supermarket in Kips Bay. You know, <laughs> it's so terrible. It's my way my mind works. Friend of the and show. And I buy Fairway. a tub of Gus's pickles. Uh-huh. Right? <laughs> Gus's wonderful culture pickles. And and I, I'm say I said to my friend, I said, I don't know how he does it. I don't know how much he gets so much goodness into a two ninety nine tub uh-huh. and i'm thinking i think we wrote that review of an allen street hooker back in 1986 <laughs> that's pretty amazing um but i you know i think it's it's fascinating because you're with all of these different magazines that you've worked for in in porn and in pot and in wrestling it's like you're at the crossroads of like the rites of passage for like a young person all of these taboos and now it's changed so much the way you experience that stuff. But I mean, you were like, right well, between in all of it, you dabbled in all of it. Well, uh, not dabbled, son. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's full all hog. Yeah. 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 <laughs> full retard. Yeah. <laughs> not one toe, the whole body. Yeah. You know, um, and I, well, in, in uh, my book, Dirty, 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 I, I talk about this too, is that like, you know, with all this internet, it's everywhere, uh, but there's no sense of wonder anymore because right, it doesn't yeah. seem illicit anymore. Yeah. High times, I mean, I remember when I was a kid, there were 
head shops, you know, and it right. was sort of at the very far end of the street, you know, right? Or, you know, and you went in there and it smelled kind of like, well, it smelled like hippies, you know, yeah. And, but like the kind of sexy hippies, you know, like the chicks who wore, you know, those batiki shirts that, yeah, you, something alluring. When you're Fourteen, about it. you kind of thought like, you know, hey, you know. They're hippies. Yeah. They're loose. Maybe I got a shot with her. Yeah. You know? Lifestyles. That was the one in our town. Lifestyle. No, there was yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Phoenix and the one, the one on 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 oh, Long so, Island yeah. in Hicksville, Utopia. And it was. And brother. you could get your your band shirts there as well. Oh, I, yeah. well, of course. Well, we had the the iron-ons. Yeah. Right? Actual iron-ons. You know, and of course they had the <laughs> yeah. letters. Yeah. You know, I think it was like Futura Bold was, <laughs> the, was <laughs> the font. You know, <laughs> with the big press. Yeah. You know, and right. there was like you know some like flat-chested you know hippie chick working back there <laughs> with like a yes t-shirt. You know. <laughs> you know, and it's a lot of silver jewelry. Yeah. They smell like patchouli. Yeah. You know, and you know, and, and you knew in her head, like in her, in her mind, she was like riding a unicorn all the time. <laughs> but there's no, there's no bag of porn in the woods anymore. We live in an age yeah. where everyone you sees two you, girls, you don't, one wait, cup. Yeah, you, know? you don't, like, you, you, you don't, you don't have that opportunity to stumble across like a bag of old nudie mags yeah. in the woods and have that be your the experience. lesbian magazine <laughs> and a stump in the middle of the forest. Something which you is want to Huh? Something you wanted to that Was that your experience? That's what we had. Oh, you found Stump Magazine? No, no, there was a tree stump. <laughs> oh, okay. I wish. That took me a that, second to make yeah, that. that would be thinking, this is awesome. A very Airbnb niche porn. publication. Yeah, no, we had a tree stump. A that bloody had a stump in a lesbian magazine. Fucking <laughs> lesbian lifestyles in there. <laughs> Oh, speaking of, that's the editor of Stump right now. Perfect. <laughs> uh, and my question is, how do you dial the phone? I don't know. Yeah. There we go. Uh, <laughs> no, because I, I, I remember finding a bag of VHS covers. There were no tapes inside. <laughs> and there was a cover and it was of some from some weird sex convention and it was a girl urinating in another girl's mouth with a bunch of photographers around and this, this sounds like Puritan but this was, this <laughs> sounds like Puritan magazine the greatest it, magazine of all time it very well maybe but it was wait, at, really? it, it, I was at such an impressionable age that it, that image was burned in my mind and it was kind of revolting but kind of weird and like when you see something and it, it gives you that almost indescribable feeling in your stomach mm-hmm. when you see two people fight like in person like you feel wow. that that em- oh, it's weird. Jesus it's not really empathy because I don't know. Yeah, but it's yeah, like, yeah. It's you, like you get affected by it's, it. You're, you're into the pee, huh? It, no, not that I'm into the pee, but it was just I'd never seen anything like it's that okay, before. It's okay, man. It's okay. And sometimes you're you know, I, I can't claim any moral high ground here. I'm not here to judge. <laughs> well, that was actually a question that I had because I think you, I think you, you talk about this in the book is the penthouse piss era. Oh, Which, what was going on there? Oh, the so saying, thank God, thank God, there was no piss error in the WWE. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, that was Bob Guccione's personal uh, fetish, I think. You know, I mean, we saw the porn magazine go from. You know, what was newsstand pornography, mm-hmm. um, there was no penetration. That was called yeah. hardcore. That was hardcore. Yeah, um, like Puritan magazine, it was expensive and. Mm-hmm. Um, Puritan was very well produced, but um, generally it was like, you know, it was sort of under the counter kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. What was safer? Films. It's like the movie Eight Millimeter. <laughs> that's right, with Nicolas Cage. Where you ever seen that movie? That, that's a Brian De Palma movie. No, 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 no. David Fincher, where he's trying to find the snuff film. Oh, okay. And was... they go to the underground of porn, and they go to these oh, porn I... conventions that are in, like Joaquin Phoenix. Oh, well, Fincher knows how to make a movie. Drags him this. through, uh, like, an but... alleyway where they've got the dirtiest of the dirties. And but it's like just like S and M. It really is. Yeah, yeah. the dirtiest it's of like the dirties. Mainstream like mainstream R rated movies. S&M, and you're like, okay, yeah. That's <laughs> like that's like two clicks on the website. Dude, back in the day, in the newsstand, you know, I mean, I mean like, um, when there were boy-girl uh, yep. photo spreads, uh, no erections were allowed because that was considered mm-hmm. hardcore. Mm-hmm. And an erection was defined as anything that was 45 degrees or less from the body. Oh, interesting. Wow. Okay, so you'd have, like, you know, these, like, porn nerds walking around with a protractor, you know, 
They even have protractors anymore. I, mean, I, I don't even know what people have anymore. They're we have the internet. Computers. You don't need a protractor. You know, anymore. I mean, when's the last time anybody like had a P square? Yeah. You know, we used, right. to, we used to lay things out. You guys would be amazed what it took to lay out a magazine <laughs> with like like a wax machine that like was I'd put wax on one side of you know this. Uh, you know, photos on a right. machine that like it was a big fancy photocopy machine and it spun out like, you know, galleys and you'd glue it to these big, you know, artboards and, you know, it was just like crazy what United did to put out right. a magazine. It yeah. wasn't like, um, you know, the democracy of the internet, which I guess we're enjoying even as, 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 we, <laughs> as speak. we speak. But, you know, but, you know, but things change, you know, I mean, it, all, it seems like it always shifts a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. It's a bit of a, a like a, a culture slip. Yeah. Um, and once Penthouse, which sold a lot of magazines, started getting away with insertion, and that meant fingers too, you know? Mm-hmm, yeah. I mean, the rule used to be if a girl was touching herself and you couldn't see her fingernail, that was insertion, it couldn't go in the magazine. Right. Then all of a sudden, you know, you know, he's got some guy in a leather mask fucking some brought up the ass, <laughs> and all bets were fucking off. And what people don't understand is they thought, oh, it was some sort of what the government said about putting, you know, what you could or not put on the stand. There were some laws against pornography, but it's all protected by the First Amendment. What yeah, it right. was, was what someone was willing to put on their newsstand and take the chance. Because right. obscenity isn't protected, right? I mean, it's 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 complex, the First right. Amendment. Obscenity yeah. is not protected speech, but no one really knows what it is. Yeah, you know, you've right. all heard the famous Justice Potter quote, I know it when I see it. Sure. Yeah. And who was going to take the chance to put that on the newsstand? Except when Penthouse did, they were selling a lot of magazines, so the guys who, at the newsstand, your local retailer, didn't mind taking a chance because it was going to fly off the newsstand, they're going to make money, but there's no way they would take a chance with a magazine to sell a couple copies that might get them yeah. sure. know, in touch with the local gendarme. Sure. You know, when you have the weight of you know, Penthouse behind you, who would defend it as well? Right. And Al Goldstein, too. I mean, yeah. he really fought for the newsstand guys. He always fought worse for them. Yeah. That they would be roughed up by Mayor Lindsay, uh, which, you know, was the, was the mayor when mm-hmm. it started, um, because they, they were the guys that didn't deserve it. They right. were just like hard-working, blue-collar guys yeah. that screw, you know, stood up for. So... So when you were actually when you were writing pornography, did you ever get to that have a worse gig there where it's just you can't like you're writing a book and it's just like I can't I can't. Oh do this man, anymore. well yeah, there's a point when I started plagiarizing myself. <laughs> that, was, that was pretty fucking bad. I think it was the day they invented like a cut and paste function on these <laughs> right. word processors. I mean, you got to imagine with these things that we worked on. I mean, yeah. it was called it was considered a portable computer but this thing was the size, <laughs> size of like a sony trinitron yeah, I mean, right. you know i mean it was, tiny little screen tiny humongous tiny CPU. Yeah, yeah yeah it was like you know it was like a tiny little screen on this thing that was the size of a zamboni <laughs> right you know? i think i see my words <laughs> cock went into her and there was a lot of disc swapping right yeah. that's disc yeah swapping um because one you know these like seven inch you know floppy discs yeah. were maybe they were five and a quarter inch by then i don't even remember i mean the format seemed to change right all the time um had the operating system on it Yep. You know, and then you sort of load that up into the, um, you know, RAM memory because these yep. things didn't really have hard drives. Yep. And then there was another disk that you'd like download your work to. And yep. then you'd have to back it up to another. It was just, it was just yeah. crazy. Yeah. I think we used uh, WordStar and WordPerfect, I think it was called. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, so, and the books were always fucked up because you'd put in some command to format something. You'd want something in italics or, or whatever. And you type in like, you know, carrot quote star carrot. And then you know, at the end of the, you know, whatever we're supposed to set aside or it'd be in italics, whatever it was, you'd have to do the same thing again to close it and tell the typesetting machine, right? you know, which was yeah. you know, this giant thing. It was like a good humor truck, uh-huh. you know, <laughs> um, you know, to, you know, to go back to regular type. But if you somehow fucked it up and you wrote like carrot, you know, slash asterisk star, whatever it was wrong, yeah. the whole rest of the book would be italic. Right. Okay. And the command would show up and no one would give a fuck. I mean, right. honestly, it was like, all right, it's a lot done. of sexual it's innuendo done. here. It's, it's done. done. It it's seems done. right. It's done. He took a carrot and stuff. Yes, exactly. yeah. But you know, the truth though is that was actually an okay job you know because you know writing pornography you're basically autonomous yeah and um the people i met in the pornography business by and large were all uh straight shooters yeah 
you know, as opposed to those fucking hippies. And our <laughs> times, you know, you, you know, you go to work with like like a rake and a flashlight. Yeah, right. <laughs> so so let's let's kind of segue into the music side of things because you had said earlier that you've played some of the worst gigs ever. Uh, yeah. So 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 hit us with a, a musical worst gig. <laughs> the, the worst gig had to be we went to play at. Um, Lafayette College. What, mm-hmm. what band is this? This is this band I had called the New York Sheiks. Okay. The original New York Sheiks. The, the New York Sheiks started kind of as a joke band. Um, it was sort of like a like a, a rip on the New York Dolls, mm-hmm. right? Um, and we put this band together. This is like a, I don't know, like 1986-ish, I guess. I was in the band Sharky's Machine at the time. Mm-hmm. And I, was, I played the drums in, in Sharky's Machine as I, as I did in the Ron Chance and later the Pleasure Fuckers. And I was... Uh, my first band, I picked up an electric guitar and was sort of like smashing away at it. And we were, I had put it together this band as a joke for a Halloween party. Mm-hmm. And instead of being the New York Dolls, we're going to be the New York Sheiks because we're all under the Iron Sheik, you know, the wrestling right. guys. Yeah. We're all like, you know, you know, evil Middle Eastern, you know, oil <laughs> sheiks and terrorists, you know. He was back, the best. Back, when, back yeah. when terrorism was still funny. Right. <laughs> Apparently um, we can't laugh at it anymore. So yeah. we were like sheiks, but like sheiks and drag. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, <laughs> you know, so, you know, we'd have a lot of, you know, eye makeup on, a lot of costume jewelry. Um, you know, I used to wear like a, my Madonna face, I had this sort of like lace teddy and some rosary beads, you know, <laughs> but, but dressed up like oil sheiks, yeah, you know, right. at the same time. And it was just this great guy. We played some New York Dolls covers and, uh, a couple of Kiss songs, it's Alice Cooper, you know, it was a sort of like sleaze glam thing. And people loved it. It went over really, really well. And we had all these beach balls that we'd always bring with us and confetti and silly string. And, uh, and it was great. And my brother, my poor, poor, poor brother, his <laughs> sad little fraternity, um, and, and, you know, in the Lehigh Valley in Pennsylvania, sure. says, Oh, you've got a band robbing a party. If you want to come play, what kind of music do you play? And in our minds, we played frat rock. Right. Yeah. Be- okay. Because we played Louie Louie and, you know, course, we played yeah. Alice Cooper. We played a Kiss song. We did, you know, it was like pub. Rock, you Classic know? frat rock. Yeah, yeah, totally, yeah, right? Yeah. And Swinging no medallions. one, it was like yeah. a toga party on wheels, except yeah. for the fact that we, you know, we fagged it up a lot. You know, it was basically this like great sort of like Animal House, except as if Animal House were 1978, you know, not 1968. Right. Yeah. This is what it might have looked like. And it started as a joke, but we, like I said, people kept asking us to play because it was fun. Mm-hmm. We'd do these like, you know, 30 minute sets and we'd just throw stuff around. People were like, awesome, dude. You know, it was, we had no agenda, right. you know. Right. We, you know, we weren't artists. We were just yeah. like they were rebel rouse. Right. So we go to play this party, and we pull up in our van, and the first thing, some like girl comes up to the van and says, "Hey, do you guys know Sugar Mag?" And the singer, of this cat named Microphone. Um, Mike says, we got to get the fuck out of here, man. This is not going to be good. Because we looked out, it was all like, you know, college deadheads and, and the football team. Uh-huh. And there's a big Budweiser truck, which to me <laughs> looked promising. But boy, you know, I was really right. reading that wrong because it was just fucking trouble. So <laughs> so we get up there and I said, well, let's just tone it down with the, you know, the, the glam shit. OK, right. you know, let's just try to be vaguely heterosexual for this gig <laughs> because they're college kids. and They're not in New York. And, right. You know, maybe they won't get, you know, right. you know, you know, some Harry Jew in a sports bra. Maybe that won't be funny to them. Surprisingly, yeah. people don't get things outside of New York and L.A. <laughs> so we in the stage and we up. I think we're doing like pills and be my lover by Alice Cooper and, uh-huh. and um, you know we do a little Chuck Berry. We you know we do some like like old Rolling Stone stuff. I mean, it really, it was just a, a bar band, but right. like a lot of classic party hits. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, our, our big hit was the bitches back Elton John. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was the only song that had four chords. Everything 
everything else was two or three. <laughs> anyway, we got on stage, and immediately beer starts flying at the fucking stage. You fucking faggots, get off our fucking stage. And we had way toned it down. But I guess, yeah. you know, again, it's a very slippery slope. And what I thought was passable, you know, I've been right. work, working at Screw and High Times and Wrestling Magazines. You know, my idea of what's sensational is not is definitely not, you know, it's not the yardstick someone else uses to measure right. the things. And, you know, this apparently concerned, man, beer was fucking flying at us. So we're like, we're like leaning on the party. It's, and we're going to do Hound Dog. Everybody likes Hound Dog. Yeah. And the singer, you know, who is not even wearing a dress for a change, you know, he's like this like, like big heavy set guy. He's like wearing like surfer trunks and he might have been wearing a bra, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> but um, he says, this song, he's looking at the Budweiser truck and he says, this song is dedicated to Spuds McKenzie. I want to, I want to see that pooch's head on a stick, right? You know, we thought everybody would like our, you know, yeah. our anti-crass corporate, you know, spunk rock, you know, liberating statement. Right. We were so fucking, I mean, beer was fucking flying at us. You okay? fucked with People, yeah. Oh man, fights are breaking out and the guy Guys are just looking on in horror. It's like the third song, and I'm like, Louie Louie. Like, what yeah. are you talking about? We can't be Louie Louie. You know, we just started. I'm like, you know, it's not time right. for Louie Louie. Yeah. You know, it didn't matter because we got escorted off the stage by like, okay, we got taken away, cops were pulling up. I mean, so we got like escorted to like this bunker, basically. Yeah. The basement of like the dormitory, and they did not know what to do with us. And the guy's like, Still, actually, it's kind of like the nicest thing anyone ever said now that I think about it. He said, something about the way you play makes people want to fight. That is <laughs> yeah. a good compliment. We were all kind of beaming at that. You know? right. So like, he says, you can't go out and play again. He goes, all right, well, we'll pay us. You know, college uh-huh. boy, and he goes, "All right, I'll get you a check." I'm like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" He goes, we'll give you a check. For, we'll give you a check for two hundred bucks. I was like, "No, you will give me five hundred dollars in cash." The way we fucking agreed because right, yeah. they're colleges, they have money. Because but you only played for twelve minutes. Exactly. I was like, "You give me five hundred fucking dollars in cash, or we're gonna go back out there and play again." <laughs> okay. So hey, we were like on lockdown. They just locked us down. Yeah. while someone had to drive to the town to find an ATM machine to come up with the cash. Gotta and then done. a couple of the punk rockers sort of sussed out what was happening. So like these chicks with purple hair came by to hang out with us, but we got our money. We were the fuck out of there. Oh my god, yeah, that's, that's pretty amazing to get paid to not play. I love the, in the, and end, the which threat of continuing to play. If, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, really. <laughs> but I mean, that's a uh, like actually just as as a side note. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first time Oxford Collapse went out to California, we played a bowling alley called Mr. T's Bowl in <laughs> in L.A. and it was in uh-huh. Atlanta. And after we played, some guy came in. He said, "You guys were a great soundtrack." While I was beating the shit out of this guy in the parking lot. <laughs> so it, and it does, you know, it is kind of a nice. Like, it's something. It's safe. I mean, I can't believe we got out of there with our lives. Though. Right. I mean, I mean, these are angry fucking jocks, man. You yeah. Know? And we're like, you know, yeah. you know kind of like stone punk rockers right. uh, wearing sports bras. I, yeah. I, I, I don't. I can't say for sure. I think I wasn't wearing a bra. I had toned it down. I don't remember what the singer did. Well, also, because sometimes it's almost scarier in those areas than in like New York. Because in New York, you can escape. Like, if you're in the like middle of like a college, like you're on that college campus, like yeah. you're there yeah. in a small town. Hey, what did your brother didn't step? into like how like, he's yeah, cool to- <laughs> he's like what the fuck man and he had a poor guy to live that down for like you know the entire rest of his undergraduate yeah. career <laughs> right that is that's well speaking like uh, going off what you said about new york mm-hmm. like when when sharky Sh- machine is going on like early mid 80s and you guys are playing with you know sonic youth and stuff like are, are you interacting with like any like Hardcore bands like Cro-Mags or... Oh, yeah, we played hardcore matinees all the time. It was kind Mm -hmm. of a problem with Sharky's Machine, actually, because we did play very fast and we're very aggressive and... um we had a singer who liked to get into the audience and thrash around and was very capable of uh, cutting himself up, mm-hmm. you know, kind of, mm-hmm. you know, we're all like living in sort of like, you know, it's like sort of post-diggy pop kind of mayhem world. And um, right. I was playing with Gigi at the, at the time and um, 
there was definitely a lot of violence surrounding our shows and you know you know but we weren't really a hardcore band in that we did play a lot of blues and we were listening to a lot of country music and mm-hmm. we did some like kind of crooning kind of Frank Sinatra numbers like straight up like, yeah. like right. no like no irony right. I, mean, yeah. I mean the guy could sing and we really liked this music um and yeah. it, it was okay now i mean i think it's the norm you know i mean by the time like nirvana for example came around it was okay for a quote unquote punk rock band to be playing hippie ballads sure yeah yeah you know Definitely. at the time the hardcore guys hated when we were playing blues but our friends like in the ranch hands um who I, you know, later joined. I mean, they dug up, but their fans were all like roots rock people who didn't like it when we were taking after Motorhead and the Bad Brains, which is also a big part of our thing, to be very aggressive and sometimes, you know, willfully confrontational. Yeah. yeah. You know, with, with our music, it was kind of an odd mix, and we kind of got caught in the middle. Yeah. Right. So it was kind of an uneasy... But yeah, we you know, and, and the thing too is like once you open up for Henry Rollins, no one wants to hire you to open up for you know the Blasters. Right. You know, yeah, you yeah. just those worlds just didn't mix yeah. the way they they did today. And yeah. we did play CBGBs a lot, and you know, we played a lot of the hardcore matinees. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, uh, and then later, of course, I was on the road with Reagan Youth, and we you know we saw the Dead Kennedys a lot, and MDC, and yeah. um, DR High, and you know all, all these great hardcore bands, but. You got to remember, I mean, the, the lines were, were very divided then. I mean, things yeah. were very polarized then between what was punk rock and what wasn't. Right. Yeah. Well, I, it's, it's interesting. In, in the book, you talk about Dave from Reagan Youth. Yeah, Dave and Sergeant. And uh, the whole idea, and it's, it's, it's stuck, it stuck with me. He has a comment about, you know, things either being hard or things being soft, <laughs> right? Like, but, he, but he was, and you say he's ahead of the curve, and, and there's one quote he's like, Who's harder, who's softer, Uriah Heep or Gentle Giant? And and just just as an aside, we're huge Gentle Giant fans. And yeah. We kind of went from punk and hardcore into Prague yep. and stuff like that. So I just I was wondering if you could speak to. It sounds like he was he was doing this stuff like way before. Yeah. You know, in terms of the appreciation for yeah. what was cool about it and also realizing the ridiculousness of it. Yeah. yeah, Dave was hip to the absurdity. Yeah. You know, well, I mean, I remember he found, um, you know, the band Focus, you know, course, right? Yeah. Like the two record live set. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Hocus Pocus besides three and four. That's insane. <laughs> you know, and he's like, this is great. We're going to have a pop party and listen to it. It's like, that's you know, a lot of yodeling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, oh, please. You know, and, but he got, he knew, he knew how silly it was. Yeah. Right. And, you know, later Reagan Youth, um, had you know Reagan, you know, had been voted out of office finally. Reagan White voted out of office. It was two terms, mm-hmm. but the world was changing, and he didn't really want to do Reagan Youth anymore. And they changed uh, the name of the band to House of God. Mm-hmm. And he had this whole thing. He was buying all these costumes, you know, like Pope outfits. And they're fucking expensive. You know what a yeah. costs? Like a real one? <laughs> like, like, seriously. Yeah. Right? And then he goes, you know, I wrote this. Oh, man, Edison, I wrote this great song. It's called In the Beginning. It's parts one, two, three, four, and five. <laughs> you, know, like, you know, I mean, even Greg Lake would turn down. Yeah, right. You know, right. <laughs> but this was this thing. You'd come on and people were not getting it. Right. Like, you know, it was the thing. You know, it reminds me of um in the Andy Kaufman movie, um, the Man, Man Andy Moon. Kaufman. Yeah. Right. Um, there's the bit. It's part of the Tony Clifton gag. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess Danny DeVito's is the agent mm-hmm. or, or the club owner or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And, they call, and he goes out there and people think they're watching Andy Kaufman, but it's his, his, it's his buddy. You know, Zamuda instead pretending yeah. to be Tony Clifton, yeah. pretending to be yeah. Andy Kaufman. And of course, at the end, Andy Kaufman like, sort of walks on stage and reveals it wasn't him. And people don't really get it, you know? Right. And, they, and, and DeVito calls him out on the carpet. They're sitting in the office. He goes, do you realize you guys just spent, you know, you know, because they had to give the money back. It wasn't Andy Kaufman. $15,000 on a joke, and you two are the only ones who get it? Yeah. And there's this, like, moment, and Andy Kaufman says, yeah, but it was really funny. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's so, commitment to the joke. Yeah. That's exactly. Horrible. All right, so so uh, we'd be remiss if we did not ask about Gigi Allen. Got to ask about Gigi. Like, just, just to, just to preface it, 
my introduction to Gigi was as I think it was in ninth grade, mm-hmm. and my buddy Jason and I sp- split the VHS at Kim's video of Hated, Hated the documentary, mm-hmm. and that blew open the sure. door. Because like, like oh. of this entire. Let me ask subculture. you, how do you explain Gigi Allen to somebody? I mean, I obviously knew him. I counted him as a friend, and then you know, and but people say like, oh, you know, I mean, he shits everywhere and does this and that. What was attractive to it? Well, I mean, tell me, as, as, what, well, what's, as, what's the Gigi Allen elevator pitch? Like, how do you even explain to somebody why a normal sentient human being <laughs> would find this attractive? You, well, you know right. what it is. I think at the time, getting into underground music and and just being having keeping an open mind, like and experiencing all these new bands. And then I think I read a review of it in Film Threat yep. at the time. Mm-hmm. And when we'd come in from Long Island, we'd go record shopping. We we saw that we actually saw the the movie there. Bought it. Brought it back. I remember we brought it back to Jason's house. His his older brother was like eight years old. It was probably, you know, 18 or something. Sat squat on the floor on his stomach with his legs crossed behind him. We put the movie on. <laughs> Within the first 30 seconds, Gigi's eating a hot dog out of some girl's ass. Yep. And Jason's older brother, Josh, goes, fuck this. And just gets <laughs> up. Okay, but we were mesmerized. Uh, just- watching it was like, because it's like right around the time I was getting into punk and hardcore anyways. But then you saw that and you were just like, oh, there's also people. People like capable of just saying, actually fuck living, it, it. yeah, living like fuck it to literally everything. Like yeah. where it's just like there's no there's no there's no hope of like you know you're not gonna end up having a crossover success as G. You know, <laughs> yeah. like it's just that's his life. Like in his life, and it was just so kind of mesmerizing when you're when you're at that age where you're like I'm starting to really think fuck the world, and then there's this guy who's like legitimately. Just yeah. kind of fuck the world in all aspects, and like, and it's almost like he did all he did that stuff that I could I wasn't going to do, but yeah. God, like it was so and, intriguing and addition, to watch that. Additionally, in the movie, he does a Warren Zevon cover, like Carmelita on acoustic uh, yeah. guitar. Well, you know, and that's like, that's um you know the thing too about Gigi's. He actually made a couple of really good records. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, like those early Scumfucks uh, records. I mean, they're, yeah. they're terrific punk rock. They're really yeah. fun and. Mm-hmm. Um, needle up my cock. I always, you know, it's, it's uh, one of the few onomatopoeic guitar solos. <laughs> right. Guitar solo really does sound like what I imagine having a needle up your cock would feel like. <laughs> right. So that's art, right? Yeah. That counts. Yeah. Um, but but there was, yeah, that was the thing. I mean, he was not going to have any success. I mean, there was no, this is a put on. Right. And the second yeah. it gets big, I'm going to drop it. Right. Yeah. And he still managed to get this cult following, you know, despite the fact that going to his gigs were dangerous and you would get you get hurt or, right. or or worse pooped upon so talk about play, I also play, can't, just i can't remember if i saw now that if i really if i saw hated first or if i saw him on geraldo uh jenny jones or geraldo uh, one of those first yeah, yeah you don't like just, of those shows and i just can't remember because they're in I mean, it was just so in, yeah it was just so intrigued like it, it just all came in one yeah. burst of just like whoa like yeah. here life is sucks something scumfuck. life yeah. sucks scumfuck is <laughs> you know, there, I mean obviously there had to be something there I mean I mean, we became friends and I liked it I liked playing with them I enjoyed making the record with them I enjoyed our friendship mm-hmm. and, and I did count to you know, him as a friend mm-hmm. uh, and I don't think he had many re- real friends I mean he lived right. in sort of a weird place there were a lot of angers on and sycophants but you know my introduction to him was uh, Michael Board uh, who was a Maximum Rock still sure. is a Maximum yeah. Rock and Roll writer to whatever extent Maximum Rock yeah. and Roll right. still exists and you know <laughs> Boy, you know, people who grew up with the internet need to know what that of course, yeah. and what what that was, and talk about a real genuine network of. Well, to that uh, end, when when both Jeff's band and my band, when we when we first started touring, they were still doing that book your fuck your own fucking life mm-hmm. yeah. uh, magazine where you could actually 
con- write to people. Last Panther to- Store, we stopped at the Maximum Rock and Roll House. I just went to go look at their record collection just because they've <laughs> literally got it all. Like, and I was just like, oh, this is great. Yeah, like, it's, I, was, it's, I mean, it was a real, it was a, a, relic, it was a real community. Yeah, and a great being in that magazine, I mean, buying an ad in that magazine was like the best ninety dollars you could spend yeah. because yeah. people all over the world would see it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah definitely. So my introduction was, was through Michael Board, and I really liked this record that, that he had uh, given me. I mean, it was just like this really raunchy, dirty, but really fun. And you know, cause, I mean, there was something there. You know, it was like very catchy. It was very funny record. This guy Gigi Allen, he goes, "You got to come see him." And the band was was uh, Thurston and Jay Maskus were in that band, <laughs> right. right? Okay, so there's something going on here because you got these right. like two like art rock guitar players, right. you know. Back at GGI, that was a disaster. That was like the yeah. fan club gig. I mean, I mean, for them, get them on, because that was the worst gig of all time for them. <laughs> because that lasted, what, like 10 minutes before there was diarrhea all over the fucking place? Right. Okay? And the lights were going on, people were getting thrown out. And uh, I saw Gigi on the way, I'm like, yeah, nice show, man, I'll talk to you. And it was soon after that that I met him up in Boston to do the Screw Magazine story. But, man, it was like a panic. He told me that night, he... um. I mean, I later became very familiar with the Gigi Allen Quick Escape. You know, hose him off and get him the fuck out of there. Right. Someone beats the shit out of him. Yeah. And, you know, New York was one thing. People just sort of ran to a bar. When you're in, playing in Charlotte, North Carolina, people come to your hotel room with baseball bats. Yeah. Right. You know. Um, so Gigi would still be able to get a hotel room. Well, you know, we had a sort of motel. And we sort of like, man, you know, it was like... A very quick escape. Yeah. You know. Yeah. You know, it was very quick. And I always say, when Gigi Allen's the one calling the cops, you know you yeah. are in a world of pain. <laughs> right. <laughs> But that night, he told me later, he goes, like, these cops came up to report authority because he actually took a bus that night back to New Hampshire yeah, uh-huh. where he lived, like, from the cat club to a bus. And they're like, yeah, who did this to you? Like, what nigger did this to you? Right? The cops are like, well, we'll find that fucking motherfucker. We'll kill him. Jesus. And she's like, I did this myself. I'm cool. Like, no, tell us, son. <laughs> it's like... It's weird. Gigi did have the cops side with him a few times. I mean, they once. Yeah. I mean, they sided with Gigi that night. Those kids came with the baseball bat, right? Because they could tell, like, Gigi just had a way of shrugging, you know, and right. you know could really put it on. He could be really quite charming when he wanted yeah. to be. I knew we got like a police escort to a gig in Chicago one time after he'd like started mouthing off on the radio. Right. <laughs> with those quick getaways, how was it being the person who had equipment that had to get away with? Well, this it? is why I stopped playing the drums. Yeah. Really, with, with Gigi, uh, started playing that. the guitar yeah. because the drums, a you were a stationary target, right? Which was fun. Up, right? You right. know, the guitar, at least I could move around. Yeah. And when all I had was a relatively indestructible Stratocaster to carry with me, everything was fun. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> I just think I just think about how tough it is to get out of a normal show sometimes and how you get tired of loading. You learn, you learn, you learn yeah. with GG yeah. Allen. If yeah. you got the cops co- or some people coming after your baseball bats, you're like, oh, yeah. And, and, and uh, Gerard Cosley was also in the iteration that you played in. Uh, yeah, yeah, on the record, and, yeah. and Gigi and, and uh, the the Holy Men, um, which uh, which I think was a pretty good record. Yeah. And I think the version of Garbage Dump, you swipe that and play that on your outro because I think that is like <laughs> I, I regret that that never came out as a, as a single, the Charles Manson yeah. song, because uh-huh. I think that's probably like like you know in terms of like just like pure punk rock, that's probably the best two minutes of my career. Right yeah, there. <laughs> <laughs> that's I mean, G, you know, to talk to someone who's played with Gigi is. That's great. Uh, you're the first. Yeah. <laughs> I hope it's not well, the Well, believe me, there, there, there are a bunch of us out there. Right. Um, but, you know, I think you know, one of Gigi's things, too, I mean, he played with some, uh, you know, guys who walk through the door, and are, you know, uh, really great. William the Chrome Cranks is still kind of mm-hmm. out there doing mm-hmm. it, sort of. And uh, Gerard, great wrestling fan, Gerard, by the way. Cosmo. Is he really? Did, awesome oh, wrestling fan. Well, really? I know he did the, his Canceled Out the Bleeding, uh, his sports blog. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that he covered wrestling periodically, but so actually that's a that's a perfect segue to to get a little. My dog is in heat right now for the Jesus. listener. <laughs> um, uh, to, to to get a little a little wrestling talk because you you have uh, these infamous WrestleMania parties. Yeah, 
Um, <laughs> those are good gigs. <laughs> oh yeah, no, no. This, it's not. It's not all negative. Those are good gigs. Well, you know, I mean, you know, if you're a wrestling fan, you know what it's like to talk to someone who's not a fan. Yeah. You know, it's like, what's the fucking point? You know, yeah. either you get it or you don't get right. it. And I've yeah. said it, you know, many times. Um, that wrestling is much like what Dostoevsky says about faith. If you get it, no explanation is necessary. And if yeah. you don't, no explanation will do. Right. So the point, you know, the WrestleMania party, you know, which now very famously, thanks to the Daily News, <laughs> you know, everyone knows, and believe me, the phone was ringing. It's like, can I get yeah. an application? There's an application to get into the party. <laughs> you, know, you know, I mean, I mean yeah. I'm fucking it's serious no about it, yeah. too. And this, year, this year's party told everybody new essays next year. Yeah. Okay, because everybody's been grandfathered in for like filling out this essay over the, <laughs> over the years. You know, it's like a college application. It's, it's complex, yeah. you know. But, People weren't paying attention this year. They like show up at WrestleMania. It's like, well, who's wrestling? You don't even uh, fucking know. Yeah, Fuck right. you. New essay next year. <laughs> right. so, you know, I know it was easy when, when we all know it was Stone Cold yeah. and everybody was into it and you sort of drift. But you know, like, I ended to like you know Coslaw and uh, a few of my friends who stuck with it and actually watched John Holmstrom. Yeah. You know, these guys are true to their school. Well, still watch it on TV. Let me ask you. What, what Full are, retard. What are your What are your <laughs> thoughts on the product today? Versus, versus your, your, I mean, do you have like uh, a, you know, wrestling, it seems it ebbs and flows. We're in a PGR right now. There's no blood. I'm kind of yeah. a gore hand when it comes to these things. Yeah. I really enjoy ECW. Mm-hmm. You know, when there's a cage match, people should be bleeding. Yeah. Right. I mean, for Ric Flair, for all the great things that he can do, bleeding has got to be near the top of them. <laughs> yeah. You know, he's queer right. for the blade, according uh, to Ric Flair. Uh, he, 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 <laughs> That's, that's his quote. Yeah, man. You know, and he, and he looks great covered yeah. in fucking juice. Right. You know, and the, the fucking blood gets in his peroxide hair, yeah. and it looks like he's got like bubble gum on his head. It's like, well, let's let's talk about the because I'm because it's all pink. It looks like a big chewed piece of bazooka, and here's this guy yeah. <laughs> flying off the top rope, and and you know, it gives it a little gravitas. It makes it feel like uh, a absolutely. Weight. And this and this is something that I've always been fast. I've always been fascinated for the listener when you blade is when you you cut yourself in mm-hmm. wrestling. Um, if you don't know that, turn this off right now. <laughs> well, you know, it's like yeah. people say, oh, well, the blood is fake, and like. You know, of all the things that are fake in wrestling, yeah. wrestling is not yeah. one of them. Right. Because but, it would look fucked up if yeah. it were. It's yeah. like. But th- th- just this idea, because you can equate being in a touring band, really slugging out in the trenches and being, a, you know, rest, especially in the territorial days mm-hmm. and kind well, of. I, well, well, I've been on the road, you know, yeah. with, with wrestlers down in Texas and Florida, mm-hmm. back when I was doing the magazine, you know, guys who were nice enough to let me, you know, in in the business, Kevin Sullivan, mm-hmm. um, who later, uh, you know, he had a satanic gimmick at the time. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. It was great. I mean, you talk about getting heat, man. Like, I was yeah. like, he, worship, <laughs> he worships Satan, you know? <laughs> I mean, how do you think that goes over in Georgia? But, right. but this <laughs> idea that these guys are literally cutting themselves open for for bubkiss yeah. a night on these dirty ma- I'm talking the early well, days well yeah, yeah you know but you know but um I mean you think about the movie the wrestler and that to me is the thing that rings the most yeah. true mm-hmm. is that these guys who are willing to do it if you've ever been out to Queens to see the ECW at the, yeah. at the old Elks Lodge mm-hmm. and, things, and these guys you know you're making 50 bucks a night and really beating yourself up but yeah. hey that's your art you know what I mean yeah. how many you know how many gigs did I lose money on in my life you know, yeah. a fucking lot of them. Yeah, you know, yeah. How many, how many, how many, nights, how many nights? You know, did I have? You know, did I pay hundred dollars for free drinks? Right, <laughs> right. Exactly. There's a great one of one of the matches that I keep going back, going back to. I don't know if you see it. I think it's 1985. It's and I think it's AWA. It's um. Oh no, it's Mid South. It's uh. It's Jim Duggan sure. versus Ted DiBiase, uh, Ted DiBiase in a loaded glove well, match that, well, in a cage. DiBiase, before he became the Million Dollar Man, yeah. had the sap glove was his gimmick. Yeah. I always thought that was kind of a stupid gimmick, to be yeah. honest with you. So, <laughs> he's got, he's got, you know, so take the fucking glove off. But you know, does it, 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 of course, it's loaded. Because you know, he allegedly had like, like buckshot you know, right. yeah. you know, or a piece of metal in his glove. It's like, you know, it was one of those weird wrestling things. So 
it was not to me it wasn't a good gimmick it would have been better if he had a piece of metal hidden in his trunks yeah you know a classic foreign object which you don't right. see yeah. as much anymore but those guys i mean and this was this was it was also a tuxedo match and talk about getting color right? <laughs> and watching just the i mean it's ama- it's amazing and then especially because those guys both went on to these incredibly successful careers in the wwf at in, the time. In, in, in you know in the whole coconut era you as, know as yeah. like i mean they're, i mean they're action yeah, figures yeah. of these exactly. guys for yeah. kids you know exactly. duggan who you know Legitimizes hitting someone over the head with a two by four. It was a great fucking like object lesson right. for all the children. You know, it is a pretty amazing gimmick that that was his gimmick. A he two just by four. has a two by. But four. even before that, he I mean he was a you know he was a bleed like this was he yeah. was not like they a, were hard workers. Yeah, those guys. Absolutely. I mean you know and to be on the road with these guys and back then when you had to um, you know get some juice you had to get a little color because that's what people paid to see and yeah. you know man you're bleeding every fucking night and you're yeah. staying in cheap motels and you know you know and cutting yourself and drinking and driving miles and miles right. before you know you know and not in front of week, and twice and often yeah. twice on Saturdays and it's not right. for you're not performing for kids I mean this is like you know this is this is like an adult entertainment yeah. at the at at the time and then obviously Hulk Hogan Well I mean yeah and, it was adult entertainment and I certainly wouldn't you know bring my kid I'll tell you one time when I was doing the magazine um I brought my little brother with me this is the day I became my little brother's hero mm-hmm. um to see Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage in a steel cage at Madison Square Garden. Oh. We were sitting like in like a like tenth row or something. It was, it was great. And, um, and I lit up a joint. So, you know, because <laughs> back then you could. Sure. You know, it was Madison Square Garden. And, right. and this guy in front of me was with his like, it was like his kid's birthday party, you know? Yeah. He had, he had like, like his you know, son and like five of his little pals to come see this. And he goes, you can't do that. There are kids here. I'm like, well, maybe you should think about this. Right in front of you are two half-naked men about to gore each other to death <laughs> inside of a fucking cage. And you're worried about this? Yeah. And I just look at me and goes, you know, you have a point. Knock yourself out. <laughs> did, did, did Hogan <laughs> did Hogan blade in that match and get the little trickle? Hogan used to juice. No, Hogan used yeah. to juice back in the day. Yeah. You know, in the, in, in the WWF, the Wolf, as we used to call it. Yeah. Um, you know, they used, to, they used to bleed in those days. I mean, that was the whole thing. You had to pay your money yeah. to go to the garden to see two superstars battle each yeah. other. Yeah. Because when Hulk Hogan did, you know, find time in his busy schedule, you know, <laughs> to get off the fucking tanning bed to actually show up and work, <laughs> you know, you know, you, you know, he would, wouldn't wrestle on a star. Yeah. I mean, every week you see the Iron Sheik beating up, you know, I mean, Special Delivery Jones yeah. was, like, was, like, was like the best you were going to get. Who was your favorite jobber? Oh, the jobbers. Well, I think everybody loves Frankie Williams, certainly has a place <laughs> in all of our hearts just for Piper's sitting there pit. in the first Piper's yeah. pit. Um, favorite jobbers, wow. Well, uh, <laughs> Rene Goulet will always hold a special yeah. uh, place for me. I mean, S.D. Jones was hardly a he, jobber. I mean, like... He had a run for a little early 80s. Yeah, like he was, he, uh, you know, I mean, later he, you know, he, you know, he jobbed for everybody. But, you know, back then, you got to remember they were doing the high school gigs you know and he would be like, he would be like you know top of the card in like some high school yeah. even though um i believe he was the first world's mania wasn't he the guy that got squashed by king kong Bundy? i, I think that was the second seconds? the second one yeah it was yeah it was a, a wrestlemania 2 which took place in three different venues one of which was nassau coliseum and they kind of went back and forth between them and it was the shortest match uh, up until uh for a long time it was literally they it was, did like one at the garden maybe and then what no it was well it the was, first one was at the garden the, the second first one the second was, one was uh, nasa coliseum los angeles and chicago oh and it was like sd ran into the ring and king kong bundy just like it was like irish whip and that was and it splashed him <laughs> it one, was two, like three, nine four, seconds boom done 
so going off that, do you have a, can you think of a worst match, like a match you were really excited for that did not live up to its potential? Uh, you know what I mean? It's been like that a lot, I have to say. I mean, a couple of WrestleManias ago was just so fucking dismal. Mm-hmm. You know, and even even this year, I mean, The Rock versus Cena, I mean, no one over the age of 12 could possibly be excited about this bullshit. Yeah, right. I mean, who the fuck really cares? Yeah, right. You know, and... Especially um, when they just bring back The Rock, it's kind of a promotional tie-in for the movies he's well, doing. He's, he's, you, know, he's, you know that he's not going to yeah, win he's not going to go do anything. a movie anyways. It, so. y- yeah, and, you know, and, and, and he was gone the next day to go to Europe to for, film his yeah. next movie, you know, and he was supposed to be backstage at Raw, and, and he was gone. Um, you know, and, and the fans know that. I don't think that's a really good way to do business, but then again, who am I to question Vince McMahon, who is, yeah. you know, the greatest genius of the 20th century. Yeah. What, is, what excites you about what's going on now? Is there... Is there well, is you know, there CM, Punk, CM Punk, you know, has been great. Yeah, you know, he's been great for the for the sport, for the business. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for bringing straight edge to a. Uh, I love it. Yeah. I'm straight edge, and even <laughs> in all this, I'm the only person who is anymore. But I just love that concept. Like I, for me, it's just like we. Yeah, it's, and, and you know, it is a goofy cartoon anyway. So yeah. make it into that yeah. as a thing. You well, know? I mean, he's I mean, he's legit straight edge. Yeah, you yeah, know? he is. And, yeah, and a super nice guy, a real fucking mensch. Um, and I'll tell you, I, I got I to you know, give props to the dude because as straight edge as he is, he put my book, which is all filled with cocaine and LSD. Yeah. You know, he tweeted about my book. Yeah. He said the best piece of fan mail I ever got yeah. was yeah. a picture of CM Punk reading my book. That's awesome. You know, yeah. which was which was great because I mean, also anytime you see a professional athlete in the same room as a book, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I think that's pretty special. Yeah. Um, but that was awesome. But I think you know, like the way they let him shoot a little bit, you know, yeah. I mean, to you know, give him a long leash. They had trouble figuring out what to do with him, but obviously he's great yeah. on the mic. Yep. The guy's not afraid to take a bump. He's an indie guy who came up to be a star. He's not, you know, really huge. You know, he's not really a big guy. Yeah. Um, and to pull off a great match like he did with the Undertaker, yep. you know, who's like what six, seven, three hundred pounds, yeah, you know, yeah. is it, great. I think I think he's awesome. So, so to kind of wrap things up, just give us a little hint of the the feud you had with Hulk Hogan. That motherfucker Hogan. You know, I, I I feel bad for the fucking guy, that stupid fucking yellow doofus. Right? You know, I, I feel bad. I mean, like like his son, you know, you know, that accident he had. I mean, his life is falling yeah. apart, but the I wanted to be responsible. Ever. Yeah, I wanted to bring Did you that see the sex down. tape? Oh, of course. The sex tape the baby so arm. It's, it's, it really is kind of awkward. You Hold know? up, baby. That's good. Yeah. Uh, you know, you know, it lasted about the same length as that King Kong Bundy. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> well, I'm surprised. Yeah. I'm surprised that big fucking you know, clown Hogan can even get it up. But there you go. There's like an ad for the, the blue pill preopism. Yeah. That is the 21st century. Right. <laughs> okay, so you hate Hulk Hogan. All right. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, stay in school. Don't take drugs. Right. Not my kind of people. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, uh, to, 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 we've to come full circle here. And he can't wrestle. Okay, let's, I mean, let's get to the crux. But wait, but what, the guy is like the worst fucking worker in the fucking world. I mean, he cannot wrestle. Now, you know, what Paul Hogan says, and, you know, it's Ric Flair repeating his book, and there's a point he goes, well, the best worker is the guy that makes the most money. Mm-hmm. So, uh-huh. again, I stand corrected. But seriously, you know, I mean, he's a guy that you could not, can't wrestle for an hour because he's just not fucking entertaining. He's very right. limited yeah. in his vocabulary, and his whole appeal is his, you know, ch- charisma to little kids. Yeah. Although what's interesting is that I've seen some Japanese matches that he's done where he wrestles in a different style, and he actually uses a couple of moves. Yeah, let me ask you. Was it him doing some moves, or was it because he was working with someone who knew it how to probably, do it? You know, yeah, because I mean, Stan Hansen was carrying him through a match. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> <laughs> this episode goes out to Stan Hansen. Stan Hansen, is he still alive? Yeah, Hansen's yeah. alive, and uh, I think he's actually got a book in it. I think I saw somewhere, like, you know, like with a weird, you know, demi-monde of uh, wrestling. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, um, you know some, some of the wrestling books are pretty good. I try yeah. to look at them, and some are pretty right. bad. DiBiase's yeah. book is not very entertaining, yeah. and of course, he's born again, and that never makes for a no, good book. No. Uh, Flair's book is great. Yeah, the kind I, book, McFoley's books are, yeah. are terrific. Hansen was a motherfucker, right? Wasn't he, like, the best? Uh, I mean, stiff and just worked the real fact that, stiff. The fact that Stan Hansen was essentially blind and couldn't see without his glasses uh-huh. and just like real, and he ran over the belt at some point in his car a real Texas motherfucker yeah. man yeah. I, was there, you, I was there the night he broke Rick Martel's night no <laughs> that was awesome that was pretty ever, that made me uh, happy that made me happy that just have you ever gone uh, I do comedy stuff at Upright Citizens Brigade Theater and they do cage match down there which is they it's it's improv stuff but they also do matches in between have you ever gone down I, there? I haven't but I can't well, wait Mick Foley went uh, I would just remind me he like showed up and he they, everyone was like he's the greatest guy in the world Mix, he was Mix, he, Mix. he told them so many stories gave them hints of how to wrestle on stage and was like this Mix is the a regular best thing guy. Mix a stand up guy you know? Yeah. you know he's a Long Island boy he is a Long Island boy he's from uh, Mineola or Massapequa anyway so what's going on to Mineola or <laughs> Massapequa and Mick Foley <laughs> Um, uh, so, Mike, a question that we ask all of our guests at the end yeah. of the show. What I have you... smoked angel dust. It's true. That's not the question. That's the one we ask on the Mike and Judy show, <laughs> yes. on my radio show. And a surprising number of people say yes. Oh, really? <laughs> say, I don't know how. Have you guys ever smoked angel dust? Never. No. Never that I'm aware of. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, a lot, a lot, that's what there that's is how, the possibility. That's how well you would you would know, but that's yeah. a lot of how it happens. Yeah, you know? someone passes you. Well, it's, 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 it's funny that you were talking about nitrous at the beginning of the episode. I went to the the dentist last year, and they gave me nitrous, and I started hallucinating to the point where oh, the, yeah. the, the 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 um, the technician was just like. Because I was talking, but I didn't realize. I was right. thinking in my head, am I saying this? And I was. Well, yeah. And she's like, do you need to get up and walk around? <laughs> yeah, bad idea. Bad idea. Yeah. It was, it was be- because. You need to help the triple This was here? my childhood dentist, right. and I started seeing him again. And when I went as a kid, he would always give me sweet air is what they used to call it. Ooh. But if it's if the dosage is off. Right. You're fucked. <laughs> You're and, and this was not even... My ball. dentist was in the other room. Maybe that's what the song Sweet Emotion is about. It, I'm thinking very now. well. But this is what this was the interesting <laughs> thing, we, is that I... cracked the nut on I that. had just started seeing the dentist again, and the receptionist is so sweet, and she's like, oh, you remind me of my, your, my son. <laughs> you're so nice. You're so, you're so handsome. And so when I started freaking out, and, and Do you have sex with her? Because this is like I, awesome I, dentist porn. No, but what happened, what happened was I had to Dental get Dental assistant porn is I'm the em- best. I, I'm embarrassing myself. I have to walk out into the lobby. I have to get water. She's like, let me show you a picture of my son. She takes out a picture of this fat Italian kid. <laughs> and I'm just like, thanks. And then they have to apply a topical analgesic <laughs> to my teeth to finish. Anyway, the question we want to ask you to wrap this up. What do you think of the word Gig. Very functional, you know. <laughs> I, I, uh, I, my grandma said to me to me one time, "You got any gigs this weekend?" You know, <laughs> you know my, my grandma rolling. Florence, and I just thought that was like so hip. She didn't bat an eye. She goes, "Got any yeah. gigs this weekend?" Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. great. Gig is a great word. Perfect. Yeah. All yeah. for it. Two thumbs up. All right. <laughs> All right. Two thumbs up. Uh, may Roger rest in peace. Yes. Um, so, so Mike, you are you know you're at the crossroads of all of these amazing things: pot, porn, wrestling. Punk rock. Yeah, the crossroads. You know, <laughs> me and Robert Johnson. You, Robert Johnson, and Ralph Macchio from the movie Crossroads. <laughs> so, you know, wherever these crossroads may take you next, we just want you to get home safe. <laughs> Thank you, man. Thanks, guys. Worst gig ever. 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 ever.